Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Can be ministering tonight, teaching, preaching, a little bit of both perhaps, simply from this title, Through Christ. Through Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your presence that is here. We thank you for the gifts of your spirit. We thank you, Lord, that we are confident that you know our situations, you know our hearts, Lord, you know every detail, and we just pray that you would minister to us tonight, that you would both challenge us and encourage us, Lord, that we are in your hands. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, through Christ. In the Gospel of John, the 10th chapter, Jesus speaks about a sheepfold. speaks about a place where the sheep were kept at night, particularly in the cooler months of the year. And he said in that chapter that the shepherd to whom the sheep belong comes in and out of the sheepfold by the door and that any others that try to enter the sheepfold by climbing up some other way are thieves and robbers. The Lord said that the sheep will not hear or respond to those other voices, but will only be led in and out by their shepherd. And as only Jesus can, he describes himself as being more than one character in the same story, Uh, more than one piece of the puzzle, we might say. We see an Old Testament example of this when we consider the tabernacle of how almost every element, every article, every piece of furniture, every symbol in the tabernacle in the wilderness points to Jesus in some way. He is the sacrificial lamb. He is the bread of life that was on the table of showbread. He is the high priest. He is the ark of the covenant. And only only Jesus is, is able to be all of those things in the one story. And so in John chapter 10 where he speaks about the sheep and the sheepfold and the shepherd, Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd But he also says that he is the door. He is the one who calls to his sheep, but he is also the one through whom they have access to the place where he keeps them safe. And although this might be something of a simplistic picture, it reveals to us a very powerful truth that this is why Jesus came. This is the reason for the incarnation. This is the reason that the invisible God declared himself in human form. There simply was, before Calvary, before Bethlehem and subsequently before Calvary, there was no way to enter in, not in the fullness of that sense. There was no way to cross what the Bible describes as a great gulf that separated sinful humanity from a very holy God. We might describe it as a stalemate, if you use that like to use that term it was uh, some kind of a standoff that you and I and all of humanity were powerless to change we did not have the ability to bridge that gap in ourselves we did not have the ability and still do not have the ability to take away our own sin to acquire forgiveness for sin or in any way make ourselves acceptable to stand in his presence and in his holiness but Jesus came And in John 14 and 6, he said those very well-known words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so the Father, the Creator, the Spirit that moved on the face of the waters way back in the beginning of Genesis is prior to this, as it were, as for us to understand in a simple sense, on one side of the gulf and we are on the other. The Lord certainly did interact with mankind. You see that throughout the Old Testament. He communicated with men like Abraham and Moses and other wonderful men and women of God in the Old Testament. But there was still a distance. There was still a separation. There was still a gulf that left unaddressed has eternal consequences. But the Bible says that when the fullness of time was come, or when when the Lord knew that it was the exact right time in His plan, according to His will and His purpose, that same God reached across that gulf, caused a child to be born, not of a natural father and mother, but of a woman that had never known a man, that spirit, remembering that it had creative power back in Genesis, caused the conception in the womb of the one we know as Mary, who has been forever famous as the Virgin Mary. That child that she miraculously gave birth to was to be called Emmanuel, according to Matthew chapter 1, which being interpreted is God with us. Amen. His name, Mary was also told, was to be called Jesus, because he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus, we know, literally means Jehovah Savior or Jehovah Salvation. Jehovah has become our salvation. In other words, the God of creation, the God of Genesis chapter 1 has revealed himself as the way of salvation or as Jesus himself simply said, he is the way. Not a way, but the way. This son that we talk about, the son of God that so much of Christendom makes complicated and confused is not a descendant in the usual way that we understand procreation. And we we understand that we have kids because we're human. Dogs have puppies, cows have calves, and that's just how, how nature works. But this son is a unique situation in that by the power of the Spirit of God, the invisible God caused a visible expression of himself. And so, yes, he is the Son of God, but it is a very unique and special situation. And within that expression is all the fullness of the Godhead. He is not, never has been, never will be Jehovah Junior, but he is God revealed, expressed, manifest in the flesh. And within that manifestation, within that expression, is all of God's fullness. And if that hurts your brain, that's a good thing. (laughs) Because if I can comprehend him, then he is way too small to be my God. Amen. But I believe that God's word describes him as having all the fullness of the Godhead in a bodily form. And this door to the sheepfold, this way that Jesus said he was, this access point has made it possible for you and I both to be approached by God but also for us to approach him. There is a two-way arrangement there. See, Jesus, Jesus said that no man comes to the Father but by me, through his humanity. But in John chapter 6, the same Jesus said that no man comes to him except the Father draws him. So in this incarnation, in this expression of God in flesh, 
there is this opportunity for interaction between a holy God and sinful humanity and how it, it can't happen without Jesus. The Spirit of God draws us through Him, but without Him there is no access. Without Him there is no way that we are able to approach God. And so in the humanity of Jesus Christ and what was accomplished through His death, burial, and resurrection, the Spirit of God draws us to Him. And the shed blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on old rugged cross makes it possible for us to respond to that drawing. It's almost, you know, we, we try to put it in terms that we understand and if we're honest, we tend to fail miserably, but we try. It's almost as if there was a great wall that just seemed to go on forever that separated mankind from God. There was a vague awareness, if you like, of the other side, but there seemed no way to get there. No way to get through the wall or under the wall or over the wall. It just seemed impossible to reach the other side until a door is opened in that wall, a door that was not there before. And now, according to the Word of God, if you use that door and only that door, you can have access to the other side because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. There's a passage I love and I've ministered from it from time to time in the book of Job, chapter 9. And if you are familiar with the book of Job, you know that it is the record of a, a very righteous man, a very godly man, a man who in rational thought does not deserve what he experienced. But God had confidence in Job. And in the middle of the trial of his life, Job wants answers. You ever wanted answers for why things are happening? You wonder, Lord, why this and why that? And write them down and take them with you because he's not going to give you many while you're here. I'm sorry. You put those in the to-be-answered letter. It's going to be, I don't know how he's going to do this. There's going to be a long line of people that want to know why things happen. Or maybe we'll, we'll just understand. Or maybe because of the glory of his eternal presence, we won't really care. We'll just be happy to be there and in his presence. But Job wanted a chance to plead his case. He wanted an opportunity to protest his innocence, to to declare that he had done nothing wrong to deserve what he had experienced. And it seems that the ancients had a mindset of cause and effect or that if bad things were happening, therefore you must have done something wrong. And Job's wonderful friends, his somewhat facetiously called comforters, gathered around him and began to analyze him and declare that surely he had done something wrong, that either he had forgotten about or didn't want to admit or maybe he had misconstrued the situation. They were determined to persuade Job that somehow he was responsible for this, which did absolutely nothing for Job's condition, did not help him in any way. But Job also understood in that process, and as he began to challenge God and God would respond to him, Job understood that God was on a whole different level to him. And in Job chapter 9, starting at verse 30, Job said, if I wash myself with snow water, I guess it's an expression of the, the purest water that he could find. If I wash myself with snow water, make my hands never so clean, yet shalt thou plunge me in the ditch, and mine own clothes shall abhor me. For he is not a man as I am, that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment, neither 
Is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both? Let him take his rod away from me and let not his fear terrify me. Then would I speak and not fear him, but it is not so with me. Job said, I I do not have the ability to cleanse myself. I get the purest water, I scrub till my hands are raw. I'm still not clean. He said, in your sight, it's as if I've fallen into a ditch full of mud. Even though I've made myself as clean as possible in the sight of God, it's like I've fallen into a filthy dish and my clothes do not have the ability to hide that filth. He said, God is not a man like me that we should be able to meet as equals and sit down and discuss the situation, negotiate a more agreeable outcome. He said, there isn't a daysman between us who can bring us together and negotiate that outcome. He said, his power and his judgment are terrifying. He said, if I could, I would speak to him and not be afraid. But he said, that's beyond me. He said, that's beyond the limits of what I can do. Job eloquently eloquently describes the gulf between man and God and the absence of what he calls a daysman, at least in the King James Version, because most other translations use the word mediator instead of daysman. And unlike Job, we have a mediator. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So Job's frustration, Job's angst at not being able to find a way to bring these two parties that seem at odds together does not apply to us because when God revealed himself in the humanity of Jesus Christ, all of a sudden there was somebody who could lay his hands on both of us and bring us together. There was somebody who could bridge the gap and still be able to touch the throne of God, but also be able to lay his hand on sinful humanity and bridge that gap somehow as only Jesus could. And that's what made salvation possible. That's what gives us the opportunity to be born again. But then we come back to our opening verse. Because all these years later, I can still hear Brother Glass's voice saying, don't you dare read a scripture and then not use it in your message. I got in trouble for that more than once. But Philippians 4 and 13 says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. When we were born again, we were saved through Christ. It was achieved through what he made possible, through that avenue that his humanity provided. But now this letter, this letter to the Philippians is written to the saved. It's written to those who are already born again. It's not written to the unsaved saying, you know, if you will reach out, you can be saved. It's written to the saved. And this verse of Scripture, if you go to Quran or another Christian bookstore, this verse is on more bookmarks, more fridge magnets, more T-shirts, more bumper stickers than a lot of other verses. Maybe John 3.16 pips it at the post, but... I can do all things through Christ is one of the most commonly declared verses of Scripture. And as simple as its statement is, it is also very commonly misunderstood. Because it is often used as a statement that I can do great things for Jesus, that like some kind of spiritual superpower. You know, like you found a cape or you found some sort of enablement 
And yes, God does want us to do great things. He does want to do great things through us and in us. But as some of you will know well, this passage is Paul describing the fact that he has experienced times where he has had an abundance of life's goods and other times when he's been living on fresh air and bottled water. Well, they probably didn't have bottled water back then. But he's lived on very little. He actually politely sort of says to them, this is kind of your fault because you didn't send me any help. If you read the chapter. But Paul is saying that I, I, I've had where I had too much and about other times where I've gone without quite a few meals. But he said in those times, regardless of the outcome, he knew that he could still make it, but only through Christ. Only through Christ. And while it is a wonderful thing to be used by God, and I would challenge you to desire to be used by God for the right reasons, to be, desired, to be used by God to reach souls, to be used in the gifts of the Spirit, to, to impact your family and your community, to, to be contagious with what we have. Now, that's not a popular word, thanks to COVID, but there are some things that's good to catch. There are some things that's good to catch. And it, it is wonderful for God to use you and do great things through you, but the reality, when, it, when, when push comes to shove, the reality is that there is nothing greater than being able to make it to the end. There is nothing greater than by the grace of God to still be here, faithful and ready when Jesus returns. Because it does not matter if you have every gift of the Spirit and a few extras that aren't in the book, but you don't make it when Jesus comes back. The greatest achievement, the greatest miracle, as we heard through the gifts, is his saving power and his transformative work in us. And this can only happen through Christ. When Jesus said that he was the way, it would be an error for us to interpret that as only being relevant to the initial new birth experience, as, as though he was simply an access point. Because Jesus continues to be the way as long as we live he continues to be the way jesus spoke in the gospels about a straight gate and a narrow way one speaks of a beginning or an entry the other one speaks of a journey both are restrictive both are quite tight and constrained jesus is both the way in and he is also the way to keep going and so we must answer the question, what does it mean to do things through Christ? What does that mean? And we use a lot of expressions we don't stop and think about. We know we have the Word of God. We know how powerful that is. We know how important that is. That's why we teach it and preach it and focus and emphasize it so much. We know we have the power of the Holy Ghost that dwells within us. But how do we bring those things? How do we include those things in our lives? If the gate is straight, it's narrow, it's restrictive, it's, it's like a small door that leads to a narrow passageway. You know, just recently we traveled to Botswana in southern Africa. Our first flight from here to Singapore was on a lovely Boeing 787 Dreamliner, a lovely big spacious aircraft. From Singapore to Johannesburg, we're in an Airbus A350, again, 
very much a similar size aircraft. But then, from Johannesburg to Haberon, we got into a little plane that had a row of one seats on one side and a row of two seats on the other. And I knew things were going to be interesting as soon as I saw the doorway. When I came up the stairs, I thought, I'm going to have to duck somewhat. And I got into the passageway, and I think several of the team members, some who are probably here tonight, were laughing at me. Some may have even taken photos. But I had to, I had to kind of do this to walk down. Um, I had hand luggage that would fit in the overhead locker on every other flight, but on that flight, my hand luggage had to go under the plane because there simply was no way that me and my luggage were getting on that plane together. I, I could not stand up. I'm not exaggerating. I could not stand up to my full height in the aisle on that plane. It was kind of like, which is not a new experience for me. I've had that fun many times in the nation of Indonesia in some of their planes that are the size of small cars. I had to adjust to the space. You see, if I was going on that flight, there were some things that couldn't go on with me. Jesus painted a similar picture to this when the rich young ruler came to him and said, Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Keep the commandments. Honor your mother and father. And he listed off some of the commandments. And the young man said, I've done all these things all my life. What yet do I lack? What's missing? And because Jesus was Jesus, he looked into the young man's heart and he, he said to the young man, you need to sell what you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. And the Bible says that the young man went away devastated because he had a lot of money or possessions or wealth. And Jesus could see the grip that that material wealth had on this young man's heart. Jesus was not suggesting to everybody to sell him that they had and follow him, but he knew that it was a key for this particular young man. And in Mark chapter 10 and verse 25, when the young man went away, Jesus turned to his disciples and said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, there are some people suggest that the eye of the needle was talking about a small gate in the door of, of the city gate to Jerusalem. And while that preaches, well, I don't think that's actually true. I think that's a little bit of an urban preacher's myth, from what I've been able to find out anyway. It makes for a good sermon, but I'm not sure that it's actually true. But the expression speaks about something that cannot pass through a smaller opening, that because of its size, it's going to be prohibited from going through. And in much the same way, there are things that we can have in our lives that prevent us from being able to do all things through Christ. Paul wrote to the Philippians and laid out what Jesus was willing to do in order to achieve his purpose. And these things are not recorded in the scripture just so that we might be thankful and that we might worship him, and that we might give him the glory that he deserves, but that we would also know that this is a pathway that we are expected to follow if we are going through Christ. Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, that word bowels is talking about deep-seated feeling and emotion, 
Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. The first four verses of this chapter lay a platform. Uh, The principle of these first four verses speaks to us about our willingness not only to receive the comfort and the love and the mercy of God, but also to extend it to others. He said, if there is comfort, if you've received these things, think about what you do with them. We're also told in these first four verses not to do things that cause division, not to do things to try and impress others with their own greatness, but to have love and unity and to look at the needs of others before our own. And you see, the closer that we stay to our awareness of the grace and mercy that we receive, the more likely we are to extend it to others. And if we find it difficult to extend grace to others and are reluctant to be merciful, we may need to review how much of those things that Jesus has extended to us. Because the, 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 the closer we remember how good he's been to me, how much grace he's extended to me, how time and time again I've deserved judgment, but he's had mercy. The closer I keep those things to my thinking and my heart and my understanding, the more those things are a natural outflow. But when we forget how good he's been to us and we start thinking that we've got it all okay, we can be very quick to be harsh upon our brothers and sisters. And we cannot, when we read these first four verses, what it tells us is that we cannot take strife or gracelessness or mercilessness, there's a word I'm making up on the spot, we cannot take those things with us if we are hoping to go through Christ. Those things are not compatible with the journey. Those things will not fit because it's a narrow pathway. It's a narrow pathway. We have to shed some things. Selfishness and not looking upon the needs of others will only get us stuck in the door unable to proceed like I would have been had I tried to carry my hand luggage on that plane. And just in case we thought that Paul was writing just to say nice things about the Lord, he goes on to say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He said this was his mindset. This was his attitude. This was the way he approached the situation, the way he approached other people And he said it needs to be our mindset as well. He said even though he talked about how he was in the form of God, didn't think it was robbery to be equal with God, what he was saying was even though he was 
the visible expression of the invisible God. And even though all the fullness of the Godhead resided in Him bodily, He made Himself of no reputation, took upon Him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He laid aside position and prominence. He did not claim his rights, whatever that really means. He assumed the attitude and the behavior of a servant and was made in the likeness of the very humanity that he came to save. He was not born in a palace. He was born in a manger. He did not come looking glamorous and charismatic and stunning in his appearance, but in fact, Scripture makes it clear that if you pass him on the street, there was nothing about his appearance that would cause you to say, wow, what a good-looking man. He was an ordinary man who mixed amongst ordinary people, and yet at the same time, he was the extraordinary God. And Paul said, if that was his mindset, and you plan on doing things through Christ, it also needs to be ours. Because when you humble yourself, you become small enough to fit through Christ. You put aside the clutter, the excess baggage. We won't talk about how much of that the girls had when they came home. But you put aside those things because they cannot go on that journey. They are too big, they are too cumbersome. And the prophet Samuel challenged King Saul over his partial obedience, which is really disobedience to the instruction of God. He said to him, he said, when you were little in your own sight, Saul was a big man, head and shoulders above everybody else, the Bible says. But at the beginning, he was little in his own sight. Samuel said, when you were little in your own sight, Were you not made the head of the tribes of Israel? Were you not anointed by God to be their king when you were small? Saul's smallness gave him access to the authority and the anointing of God. But he became too big and was no longer able to operate, if we can use this expression, even though he was in the Old Testament, he could no longer operate through Christ because he was too big for the narrow way and the straight gate. Yeah, it is true. Biblically, we are the children of God. That's not a place for pride. That's a place for worship. These, some of these churches that get around saying because we're his children, we should live like king's kids. That's, that's a wicked doctrine. We are the children of God. We are the heirs of his promise. Ephesians does tell us that The Holy Ghost is the deposit of what waits for us on the other side. King James describes it as the earnest of our inheritance. The earnest is just a word that means the down payment, the deposit. What the when when you were filled with the Holy Ghost for the first time and it it just it was like nothing you've ever experienced. The scripture says that's just the down payment. I don't know what the percentage is what for deposits in heaven are down here, they have different percentages, but we know that it is a small taste of what waits for us. But if we are going to get to the other side, if we're going to get the rest of what waits for us, it must be 
through Christ. We must follow his lead. We must imitate him. To humble yourself, to lay aside pride and to lay aside your rights and and position and, and prominence and all the things that we think make us important goes against our flesh. Brother Kerwin spoke to us about our flesh this morning. Humility is the opposite of what flesh wants. Flesh wants recognition, praise, position, reward, prominence. Even, even, even those that are introverted in some way desire to be, be valued and held in high regard somehow. If you're introverted, you can explain that to me later. But if we are going to humble ourselves and lay aside all the things that we think we deserve and stop complaining about the things we don't deserve, it positions us perfectly to be able to go through the eye of the needle, as it were, that before that our camel-sized pride could never negotiate. We're unable to get through that because of our pride. How did he demonstrate? How did Jesus demonstrate that he had assumed that servant position? that he had laid aside his rights and his prominence, he suffered and he died. That's what he did. He prayed a simple prayer that just said, not my will, but thine be done. And in that, he made himself almost as small as possible, which is mind-blowing when you stop to think about who he was. Amen. Not my will but thine be done. And I do not, we we understand that our death is of no value in that same setting. We're not required to sacrifice our lives in some spiritual benefit unless obviously society changes and we find ourselves in that challenge. But Jesus said, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. He said, but if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. He said, if you want to follow me, you've got to take up your cross. There's death in the process. There's making ourselves small in the process because that's the only way we're going through Christ. I hope I'm challenging your understanding of Philippians 4.13 tonight. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. But you see, for Jesus, it didn't stop there because after he laid everything aside, after he submitted himself, Scripture says that he was highly exalted and that every knee in heaven and earth and under the earth is going to bow before him. Now, just in case you've got warped thinking, God is not going to set you up to have you worshipped, but he will raise you up. If you will humble yourself, James chapter 4 and verse 10 says, Humble yourselves. In the sight of the Lord, make yourself small, and he shall lift you up. First Peter 5 and 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time or when he sees fit. You know, when you're in church for a while, you, you observe different people, and when you interact with faithful people, with those that have been around a long time, with those that seem to have access to the power of God to endure, and you hear their testimonies and you get a little bit of the backstory of the things that God has brought them through and the things that he set them free from and delivered them from, but how sometimes that was a process that took time, you can be sure 
that somewhere along the way they have made a decision that they were willing to surrender their will to the Lord, to trust him through the pain and through the storm and to not shake their fist at God, to make themselves small enough to be through Christ and have access to the strength and the power that that provides. And through that process, Jesus has exalted them, not in position or prominence, but in strength and in power. Amen. Those who resist, those who claim their rights, who take their frustrations out on those around them, who only trust in the Lord in the good times, continue to be a camel staring at the eye of a needle, wondering how they will ever be able to get through that and not able to experience the power and the strength that others do. You know, when I was a kid, it may not have been the case, but it seemed like every kid I ever knew had one of those plastic toys, half red, half black, sorry, half red, half blue, with the different shapes on it. Anybody remember those? I think Tupperware made them. Everybody probably had one because back then everybody's mother went to a Tupperware party. But everybody had one of those. And it had all the different shapes, round, oblong, squares, crosses, all different shapes. And the idea was that little children, you'd empty the shapes out and the little children would take those shapes and no doubt was a, a, a toy that had helped in the developmental process for fine motor skills and problem solving and all that stuff. But, you know, the kids would take that and try to work out how to get the shapes back into the right holes. There were some kids who would sit there and stick at it. Then there were other kids, and if this is you, we'll pray for you tonight, who got upset and threw it across the room, threw themselves on their faces and kicked and screamed because they couldn't do it. There are some Christians that are like that. Some people are willing to allow the Lord to guide and direct and to be patient. Others, when they can't get the shape in the right hole, throw their toys out of the cot and throw a tanty and wonder why they don't seem to have the power of God in their lives. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 4 says, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Amen. I want you to stand with me this evening if you would. I want to remind us tonight to reinforce us that you can do all things. Through Christ. It's the only way. It's the only way. You know, I talked to Sister Allison when I can get a hold of her. Sister Allison's health conditions mean that she spends a lot of time in bed, a lot of time asleep, and even the, a little bit of physical exertion causes her to be wiped out. And so it's actually not easy to get her on the phone. But when I do... You know, I, I'm not ignorant. I know that there are days when it's very hard and there's days when she's feeling overwhelmed. But almost every time I talk to Sister Allison, she lets me know how she's doing, talks to me about what the different things are she's coping with and what the doctors have told her. And, but then she will always begin to say, but you know, the Lord's been showing me some incredible things. He's, he's got my attention through this situation. He's, he's allowed this to slow me down and to get my attention. And he's revealing things from his word and about himself. And every time I hang up, I think, dear God, give me that kind of attitude. That when I don't have the answers, when 
people are praying, the church is praying, and God can heal, and God may well touch her body and deliver her, but in the meantime, all things through Christ who strengthens me. I wonder if you would lift your hands tonight and just begin to worship him. Thank you, Jesus.